0: Stay hungry, stay foolish.
1: Our next guest on the innovation show is a British scientist, author, broadcaster and member of the House of Lords. She has 32 honorary degrees is an honorary Australian, a CBE holder, a French legion d'Honneur holder, amongst a plethora of other degrees, including an honorary fellowship of the Royal College of Physicians, and many, many other awards. She has written many bestsellers, including a day in life of the brain, mind change, the private life of the brain, the human brain, brain story, ID tomorrow's people. And the novel 2121. She is a driver of research in Alzheimer's, ADD, and how technology is having a disturbing effect on our brains. It is an honor to welcome Professor Baroness Susan Greenfield. Welcome to the show, Susan.
0: Oh, it was a great pleasure, Aiden, to be here. Thank
1: you. Everything I've read about you, one thing that really resonated was your childhood and the, yeah. the way you've basically built your career from the, the foundations of your childhood and the lessons you learned in that childhood. Could we talk about that to begin of with? Of
0: course, because it, it means a lot, and I think it is important nowadays, especially in a world where you have these overachieving parents, you know, what they call the, the tiger parents, you know, who um, really want their kids to be on the go all the time and cram them all the time. Uh, because I was born poor, and I think this was the biggest break I ever had, um, Uh, My parents couldn't afford things, so I was just on my own allowed to dream and to draw and to read and to think. And as long as I didn't make any noise or intrude on people too much, they just left me to it. And I think that that was a brilliant thing. I think it was very good as a kid to be bored because if you are bored, you make your own entertainment and stimulation. You draw your own pictures. You decide to go to the library. You make up your own stories, you know. Um, And I think rather than being on the back foot, if you are the person who's in control deciding – for want of a better word, on your own narrative, what you want to do—I think that's a very good thing, you know. Um, and you live in your imagination. Do you remember when you were a kid, Aidan, perhaps saying to your friends, you know, "Let's make up a game."
1: I oh, still let's do. It.
0: <laughs> yeah, let's make up a game now. And, and you know, this box can be a castle, or it can be a car, or a rocket ship. You know, because the parents can't afford those things. So I think being left alone to have this rather dreamy childhood, where I had time and I had time to think. I think that was a good thing. And the other good thing about being born poor was learning the work ethic. And I still remember this when I was 15, perhaps you did the same. Um, I had to get a Saturday job. And I remember working at Woolworths you know, um, and bringing home a pound. So it shows how old I am and how long ago that was for eight hours' work. And when I came back, I remember my mum saying to me, you can do what you like with that money. I can't tell you what to do with it Yeah. because okay. you've earned it. And, you know, and I think – that still makes me kind of choke up a bit because, you know, this notion when you're 15 of your mum saying, I can't tell you what to do. I can't tell you what to do with that because it's yours and you've earned it, yeah? Now, how many middle-class kids um, you know, who have the banker mum and dad giving them endless treats and, and so on, you know, aren't they missing out on that? Aren't they missing out on that fabulous feeling of empowerment and freedom and independence and the confidence that that gives you when you've earned your own money? And I think again that was a lesson my mom taught me um that i feel sorry for people that have just had handouts all the time and haven't had to get that feeling you've earned the money and no one can tell you what to do and i think for me that's the sort of you know message of my life is not liking people telling me what to do if you do it yourself you're not dependent on people
1: but but that lesson is you're almost deprived of that lesson if you're too wealthy or, or you're not maybe, yeah, I'm through those, yeah.
0: yeah and, and also i um, Again, you know, if you're poor, your skin's good because you're not under sun damage. I remember, <laughs> I remember all my mates going off on exotic Mediterranean holidays and coming back brown, whereas we were sitting in Eastbourne or Bournemouth in a bus shelter in the rain. You know, so playing crazy golf in between the showers. You know? so, there was always that advantage as well.
1: Yeah, and there was there was a great story of you where in one of these imagination bursts, you um, went to the local butcher's and bought yes. a, ra- a rabbit.
0: <laughs> yeah, I did that. I was just curious and again this is why having the the parents i had who were on the one hand totally loving and supportive and at the same time had no money that's the perfect combination you need both yeah, yeah. and so when i said i was going to the you oh, know i'll find it you know it's like when i said i was going to do greek you know, i'll find it yeah you know best and so my little brother who was then about three um i was about 15 or 16 and he actually watched me do this dissection with my mother's dressmaking scissors, you know, which was not ideal. And I remember him saying, as he looked at this dead rabbit, he said, when the rabbit was alive, he could see with those eyes, but now he can't. The eyes are still there, but he can't see anymore. And I thought for a three-year-old, that was quite a deep thought, you know?
1: Very, very deep. and, and it, yeah. it, it, But it, it really launched your brain then on, you know, deeper questions, philosophy, what's going yeah. on with the mind, well, etc. Yeah, I
0: think... If you have time, and nowadays I think kids are time-deprived or they're so hooked onto the screen you know, where it's mandating to give past responses all the time, I think if you have time on your hands, you do have time to have in between what comes in and what goes out, you have time to add your own thoughts and ideas and perspective and to join up the dots in your way. And I think that's a very important thing to do because that is the start of them being creative because it's only when you have a framework and you make unusual associations, you know, compared to the normal ones that you can actually appreciate that that's something that's meaningful or interesting. Whereas if you're living in the moment and responding to inputs very quickly or multitasking, when do you have chance to add your own value? When do you have chance to add your own thoughts, your own perspective on things? You know, you just become a kind of second-rate computer otherwise.
1: Yeah, this is one thing I've, I've really noticed, which science has, like many things become, everybody's collecting dots. So there's so much data in the world that they collect.
0: I'm so glad you've raised that. I think that's is one of the big problems with modern science, in that people are very impressed by data. Um, and there was Karl Popper, a philosopher from a long time ago said science should really have falsifiable hypotheses. That's to say, you should be able to frame a question that you can test. Yeah? And nowadays, people are so frightened that they'll have the wrong answer because then they won't get grants. So much easier to have a very glamorous technique that's very powerful, but actually you don't understand what you see. So this is something called bias-free research, B-I-A-S, free. And it suggests that um, you don't have a hypothesis. You just collect lots and lots of data. You don't know what it means, of course, but you collect lots of data and the technique's very trendy and glamorous and expensive. But you don't actually understand what it is that you are seeing because you haven't interrogated it with a question. And I think that this is one of the problems of much of modern science is that people have forgotten to ask questions and to formulate hypotheses in the enthusiasm to indulge in these wonderful techniques. And again, as I say, if you do that, if you are bias-free and you're not asking questions, then
1: you're not going to be wrong. So we had Ash Moira on the show last week, and he, he runs a company called Lean Stack, Lean Canvas, and their their whole hypothesis mm. is to create those falsifiable experiments. If I'm going to go and create mm. this product, is it going to fail? And exact same thing as you said, Susan. He said yeah. that most CEOs and leaders don't want to lose face in front of their people, so they exactly. won't, they exactly. won't do it. But it's the way you succeed by failing.
0: Yeah, and, yeah, and I think back to what we were saying earlier. I think if you've had I won't say struggle because, as I say, I think I had an ideal child, so I don't to paint myself as some Dickensian victim, you know. But I think if you've had to do it for yourself, yeah, then I think you have a confidence that allows you to risk being wrong. And that's, I think, the best thing one could do for a kid is to give them the confidence. So as someone said, you know, if you never stretch yourself, how do, how do you know how? F- yeah, only those who go too far know how truly really far they can go. Yeah, I You
1: know, that. I, I think that...
0: that. But that does require confidence and sadly nowadays that seems a commodity people aren't putting much prize on and i think it's very important to give kids the confidence to be themselves to respect confidence in others and individuals and others so that because inevitably we're all going to have problems whether they're a medical financial professional personal. You know, the best you can do is have the confidence to cope with that yeah. and, and, and strength of character to cope with it
1: and, and as you said when we don't let children go through that learning opportunity we deprived them of the yeah, opportunity
0: i think if, if you turn them to little machines and a long long time ago there was a way before the screen technologies there was a, a rather strange program in the states called hot housing i don't know if you heard of this but they would yeah. have these little children and make them learn off endless facts and they'd play the violin standing on one leg and do lots of part you know. so they were very good performers and they could recite things off but i don't know how much original thought was there or how much strength of character was there
1: yeah. And and do you, know, do you know, what I was thinking about when I saw the collecting the dots versus connecting the dots, connecting yeah. the dots is really a, a kind of a framework I felt for your whole career in a way because you talk about this as brain plasticity that that's how the brain grows through yeah. connect connections. But before before we go there, mm-hmm. I, I, I thought people may think you so you're a 15 year old, you bought a rabbit in the butchers yet
0: dissected, <laughs> dissected
1: the brain and you went, I'm going to be a scientist. But that was no, that was nothing. far far from the pathway
0: no it was so okay, so when I was at school and I'm sure many of your listeners will have sympathy with this um, I really hated science because again there was no the way it was taught, and I think it still remains the case to a certain extent uh, there was no room to have your own ideas so. Um, I remember doing the amoeba, for example, you know, and you drew a circle, then you drew a kind of egg timer, then you drew two circles, and that was the amoeba reproducing, for example, yeah. Um, or distilling water, where you stencilled conical flasks, and no one told me why that was an interesting thing to do, why you'd want to distill water, what was the point of having distilled water, and that was chemistry. Yeah? Um, so there was no room to have any insights or thoughts, or and certainly it didn't seem to enrich my life in any way. I didn't know what distilled water was, and I thought the amoeba led a pretty boring life. So um, meanwhile, the humanities subjects, literature and history, um, had much more scope about why wars started, why people fell in love, what relationships were, how things changed or didn't change according to culture and era. And in particular, um, I got very attracted to Latin and Greek, to the classics, simply because those civilizations asked the truly big questions like what is destiny, what is revenge, uh, how, what is free will. Um, those, you know, again, wider wars start. And because it was a very efficient way of doing it, the history and the literature were one and the same effectively. And on top of that, you could compare two very different scenarios, the Roman and the Greek Empire, that the whole thing had a completeness to it and exercised so many different skills and so many different aspects of human knowledge that you can see why in the old days the Victorians thought this was the really well-rounded, complete education. And I never for one minute have I ever regretted doing – I did classics and maths, pure maths. And and for me, that was the most exciting, wonderful, intellectually stretching, enlightening um, education. And meanwhile, the old um, algae and the spira and the (laughs) amoeba and the distilled water, I mean, you can see that came nowhere close to what – classics could offer. Um, The maths was just like doing Sudoku. That was just a sort of, you know, really mind-stretching thing on the side. But really, although to do maths, you need the same analytical powers as you do to deconstruct Latin and Greek sentences. So again, it was all of a piece. And I felt I had a very well-rounded education that, you know, rehearsed many things. And of course, gave you a facility for languages, background to how languages work, how sentences work, which in turn helped with writing. So things as mechanical as that right through to lofty ideas about what is consciousness and you know what is an individual Um, and it was that that prompted me to do the brain because I'm just so fascinated and in the physical basis of consciousness and and what that is and how the subjective and the objective relate to each other
1: yeah and you, you can see that you did this with your brain so connecting the dots again here you connect yeah. your left brain and your right brain,
0: <laughs> well, really, just,
1: different sides. Like, because I remember reading the Odyssey. I, I did classical studies as well, and I remember yeah, reading yeah. the Odyssey and just going, "This would be the most amazing movie." <laughs> and just, yeah, because you, you immersed yourself and you you were Odysseus in it. You
0: just became, exactly. And, no, and, I mean, compare compare Odysseus with video game, for like, example. Yeah, would it be much better if kids read Homer now, a written in translation?
1: Yeah, the, absolutely. You know, I
0: mean, it, it, all these other kind of goody-baddy things.
1: Yeah.
0: They, they, they lack a dimension somehow that, for example, Homer has, you know, where you have these layers of the gods and destiny and different people with their different forces and intertwining and how happenstance coincides with destiny at different times and how an individual survives those things. You know, I mean, even when you're 11, you read that. It's a big canvas to you know, compared to just in front of a little screen playing some game that requires the attention
1: span of a nap. Yeah, and before before we go there, because I really would love our audience to hear about yeah. this, because you you talk about this mind change is equivalent to climate change, and I can absolutely agree with you and totally agree. With you, but I just want to kind of finish how you got there. So you you end up getting uh, an honorary, uh, you got you yeah. got a grant to yeah. go to Oxford. Yeah absolutely excelled
0: yeah yeah so, so what happened was i was born into working class family but another lucky break i had was my dad was jewish and um without sounding too stereotyping in jewish culture there is great respect for education so um although i was brought up in a secular way because my father wasn't actually religious the cultural attitude of my jewish side of my family and indeed my father to education and learning was one that wouldn't necessarily have been expected of someone of our socio-economic standing, you know. Yes. So although we had no books in the house and we were uh, poor, we played chess a lot, we argued a lot, we debated a lot, um, and I was always encouraged at school, you know, always to, to do it. When I bought a school report home, my rich uncle would give me a tensioning note, you know, as a reward, and I thought I was Lady Rothschild with that. Yeah. So um, so it was that combination of a very supportive background but with no money that I think did it and then I went to a very good school in London an elite school in London and then on to Oxford um and did classics initially but I got disappointed in philosophy because it was very linguistic and it didn't talk about consciousness so I drifted from philosophy to psychology to physiology and ended up doing neuroscience which for me was a very logical transition intellectually but obviously um surprises many when i say i don't have any basic science qualifications at all i don't have any science o levels as they would have been in those days of science a levels
1: but that that's a huge advantage like when I, I when i when i read about you and your your background i went straight away i went the classics guides your mind in a certain way of thinking so you story tell naturally yeah because, exactly
0: but well, again it comes to confidence you see it all comes down and and anyone who's done latin and greek will know it's not an easy <laughs> it's not easy to learn greek in. So once you've done that, you can do anything, you know, um, and it gives you a huge confidence um, on things because you've mastered something that's not intrinsically logical in terms of the grammar song. So when you come across something that is logical, like science, that's actually much more straightforward to do and it also gives you the confidence to come across new concepts um, and new relations and joining up dots in new ways that gives you the confidence to do that. So um, I, for me, it was it was a fantastic thing, but actually as i say um i was really interested and still am in what we mean by an individual and how that individual is conscious and how aiden you're different from me you know what's going on as we're talking now inside your mind you know those things are really exciting exhilarating questions to ask i think
1: yeah and it also get what i see as well like i'm sure you, you've you had detractors who kind of go oh she's not pure science oh she can't be Oh, of course and, yeah and you've, got... <laughs> you've written all these books and, and what you've done
0: because i have like yeah, yeah. I, there'd be something wrong if i said well i've got you know a friend here who's got lots of original ideas and everyone agrees with them i mean would how when does that happen never you know i mean to have detractors if, if, as long as they challenge you courteously and not on a personal level,
1: yeah. then
0: that's a healthy, thing. that's what scientists do all the time. You know, when we do our peer review papers, you know, they're subject to being criticised, as I would criticise them. And it's only in that kind of crucible that yeah. you can work towards the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Although that is now a dirty word now, because, of
1: course, the truth. That that confidence you talked about and the storytelling skills you picked up from the classics comes across in the books, because the books are simplified, so anybody can pick mm. them up and read them. And, and that, that really... I, for me, that, that shows a massive confidence, not I'm simplifying it or dumbing it down. I'm actually telling it so you understand because I want to democratise this information. That's what sure. comes across.
0: I, I love the way you're talking about stories because for me, this is the more I think about this, this is a really deep-seated thing. And if you indulge me for a moment, if you think about why is a feeling different from a thought, what I've suggested is a feeling is just in the moment. Whereas any thought has a beginning, a middle and end, right? A equals B, B equals C, so A equals C. So with a thought, you end up in a different place to where you've started, as you would with a sentence, as you would with a story, as you would with a life story. And I think this linearity is very important for human beings because if you have a beginning, a middle and end, you have to have a time window, which means you have to have time. You're not just emoting and being there in the moment and reacting. And I think the notion of stories resonates very deeply with all of us. If I said to you now, once upon a time, you know, you'd know, you be great, we all are. I think stories are very important because they echo our lives, they echo our sentences, and they echo our thought processes. And therefore, the story is something that is a feature of every single civilization of humanity, probably the Neanderthals told stories as well, because we know they drew cave drawings, I think. So, yeah. so this notion of a story and making up a story I think is a very important part of being human yeah
1: and it's it's, it's the piece now going on to mind change as equivalent to <laughs> climate change so i i see this like like you have recognized and and have been an advocate of is that there's a huge problem dwelling in the background this this mind change of the brain's plasticity is being yes. ch- ch- so the brain's actually being molded but based on the attention and focus we give to technology and actually the lack of focus, because I, yeah. I, I actually I lecture and I asked the class, does everybody here have a focus problem? Everybody put their hand up and I, mm. I can see it in adults now who have technology introduced into their lives and, and people kind of talk about content, going back to storytelling. Oh, you can't, mm. you can't put long form content down on the web because people don't read it. That's the yeah. problem. That is the problem.
0: A, well, a, I mean, I think the problem is certainly, as you say, in the classroom. And there's um, two really brilliant school teachers who contacted me from Washington. Um, and I think school teachers are a very good guide because they see different generations. They're not biased, as parents might be biased. Yeah, um, They're not doing experiments as such, but they are observing things like critical thinking and attention spans. And these, these two school teachers contacted me on the basis of that we've done. A Google group called Beyond the Screens, which they started, um, because of their concern for the changes that they are seeing, and I, I take those changes very seriously. You know, and where people say, "Oh, there's no evidence," um, there's never enough evidence, but I think there is evidence enough for concern. You know, from what people like these school teachers and many um, are are adding to this. It's this um, inability to um, to lead from the front to to yourself say, "Let's make up again." To be in control of what you yourself are doing, as opposed to being renegated to being a sort of passive consumer of some web creators, you know, fantasy and some profit-making motive. You know, I find it very sad that, um, that the screens are perceived as glamorous and wonderful and so on. When are they not possibly um, getting the wrong result? You're turning the kids into second-rate computers because that's the environment that the kids are adapting to.
1: Like I have children as well—a seven-year-old and three-year-old. <laughs> you can mm. see the difference when they've been on a screen so if they play a yeah. computer game like minecraft you talk about the physiological thing that happens they get a dopamine spike but you see them yeah. less patient later on a bit irritable yeah. these things happen like so and, and you've actually added the science behind the sure, the facts sure.
0: yeah i mean of course there's detractors because and that, that, that falls into in one is people say there's no evidence. Now, that's like saying, you know, the sky's not blue. There is evidence. There may not be enough evidence. You may not like the evidence. You may disagree with it. That's separate from saying it doesn't exist. Yeah? So, whilst I would concede we can always have room and time for collating more evidence, you can't say there's not, the evidence isn't there. Um, and moreover, just empirically, if one asks for evidence, I would challenge back the people who are great advocates of the screen. For example, um, to actually provide evidence that having iPads in classrooms for example is beneficial where is the study where you've taken kids of similar age and ability divided them into two groups given one not iPads for 6 months the other's not and then shown that the iPad group performed better that just hasn't been done yeah yeah,
1: yeah. it's just an
0: article of fants looks good to have kids you know swiping with their fingers um, you know but to the best of my knowledge, and perhaps someone could write in if they do know of experiments like one I've described have been done, but <laughs> as far as I know, there haven't been. Yeah. So if one's going to say you need evidence, you need evidence also to support the fact that it's beneficial.
1: Yeah. And and just so everybody understands that's listening to the show, Susan, so I, I've talked before mm. about tabula rasa, like, so you're born with this blank slate yes. and, and the inputs you get, and, mm. and this is why I think the childhood is so important that everybody around mm. you is an influence that data going in, yeah. you synthesize it, and then you, you, you put it out the way you do. And
0: that's right. From from yeah. a
1: screen perspective, you've talked about that. If you think about this, right, even let's use our storytelling analogy that goes through this chat mm-hmm. is, yeah, the kids aren't forming a story, they're almost like, stepping on the stage into the game where they have no they're using no other senses other than sight and he- and their hearing. Yeah. So therefore, they're yeah. losing out on learning. And therefore, they get these kind of ADD or artistic sure. um, well, characteristics. I think,
0: I think they're losing out lots of things. I mean, for example, if you and I say, let's make up a game. And you be this and you be that. and yeah, uh, you know, What you're doing there is you're rehearsing having a little identity. And you're rehearsing. When you play a game, you're rehearsing a life story, you know. I'll do this and you go there, and I'll be this, and I'll be a dragon, and you'll be the witch, and so yeah. So, and what you're doing by that is very valuable because, first of all, you're developing an identity, and you're in again, you're in control of it, you know. And again, most probably you're experiencing all five senses as you do this, if it's outside running around, and as a as a happy side effect, you're you know, reducing the chances of becoming a beast and all those other things. But there you are, you're, you're leading, you're, you're in control, it's your identity, it's your little rehearsing lifestyle. Whereas if you're there, stuck in front of the screen, A, you're not moving and developing basic motor skills, you're not stimulating your other three senses, and very much you are the consumer, you're the consumer of some profit making program. Yeah. You're not, you've you have limited options. Yeah. Whereas anything is possible in in five d, you can do anything, a box, and be absolutely anything you know yeah. you like, and it can change halfway through, and you can, and that power of imagination and attention and confidence and identity, um, obviously, I, I feel quite strongly about this. I think those are things that can't be tested simply in an experiment, you know. Yeah. Um. And so when someone says, well, "Where's the evidence?" I think one needs to think about what kind of things. Would expect to see or test.
1: Yeah, let's frame that now in the way the world is going. So, the collecting the dots world is being replaced by automation and artificial yeah. intelligence. So, the future belongs to the people who ask the questions, it belongs to the people who connect the dots, and it belongs Indeed. to people who aren't sitting in front of a screen all day. Yeah,
0: well, there's a brilliant quote. Um, if you've read my books, I think I actually quote it in, in Mind Change from Isaac Asimov. And, in 1964, he predicted what life was going to be like 50 years hence. And there's this fact, people can look it up on the web. Look up Isaac Asimov, 1964. And he's about 50 years hence. And he said, the true elite of mankind will those who are creative, for they alone will do more than serve a machine. Serving a machine, I think, is not exercising the awful humanity. You're, you're turning yourself into a second-rate computer, basically. Yes. or into Or into... A three-year-old, you know, who doesn't progress because you just have feelings and instant desires, you're emotionally volatile, you know, short attention span, slightly adversarial, not very good at empathy or relationships. The world doesn't mean very much. Take it very literally. Yeah. And they are trapped in the moment, you know. And I personally wouldn't want that. And I think that such people will be very vulnerable to uh, the few who don't, yeah. you know, who, who are thinking and planning.
1: So so how do you so you've you've actually plotted how you see it panning out in twenty one twenty one. And, hmm. and I'd I'd love to just hear that as a as a finale for this chat. How you how you see it panning out, but how how you see <laughs> the human succeeding in the yeah, world that's yeah.
0: machine well, it dominated. Was a dystopia. It, it was a dystopia, and of course, um I, I it's something I always wanted to do write a novel, you know, and I did it. So there we are, that was in the bucket list. But basically I I etched out two caricature scenarios in the year 2121 and one was of the type I've just described the emotionally volatile the perpetual child who lives for sensation who has sensational times which sounds great but after a while I think unremitting fun can be very boring if you're just having fun all the time you know if you're just having sensation all the time and it has no meaning because I think human beings are in a search for meaning and as an aside um, I've often wondered why that might be perhaps the popularity of tattoos because people are seeking something permanent in their life, in right. some sense, identity. But that's, that's just an aside. Just a, so, so that's one possibility. The other, um, in my mind, were these people that were over-cerebral, that never let themselves go, that never blew their minds, that lived in a world that was so planned out and so cerebral, um, they had no direct feelings. And, of course, you need both. And, again, back to the classics. There's a play by Euripides called the Baki, which is just about that. It's about the wine force and the bread force, as he calls it, and how human beings need that balance. And if you don't have the balance, then, um, you know, perils await you. But so, um, so for me, yes, I think what we're in danger of is a world that seeks desperately identity and meaning. You only have to listen to the news and look around. Everyone wants a meaning to their thing. But at the same time, the environment in which they're placed is one that just gives them sensation. And here and now returns rather than any deep-seated significance or or, or strong sense of confidence. You know, and I think that, you know, there's always room to change. And you know, as so long as we recognise this and think about it, then we can, you know, the technology should be our servant, not our master. And that we should be ours, it should be a means to an end, yeah. not an end in itself. But then again, we do have to decide collectively what what, <laughs> what we want the end to be.
1: Yeah, and and one last thing. So because the with the brain's plasticity means that it can be molded one way, but it also can be reverted. So it can actually be yeah. brought the other way. So that's yeah, like, there's, oh, a
0: really, there's a really nice study from a year or two ago, actually, where they took pre-teens who were obsessively used in digital devices, and they all scored very poorly on um, social interaction. And then half of them were sent off to summer camp just for five days, and they significantly improved their skills on that. So, um The the, the mantra is the brain adapts to whatever it's rehearsing or whatever it needs to do. And if suddenly you're in a summer camp with no digital devices, you'll adapt to that and be good at that. And if if you're not needing to establish empathy and look someone in the eye and give them a hug, then you're not going to be very good at it because you're not rehearsing it. So, um, So the brain will always adapt and always evolve. And that's what it means, again, to be human, is that that's what makes you unique because no one else is living your life, only you.
1: That's a beautiful way to, to finish <laughs> off today. Uh, so, Professor Baroness Susan Greenfield, it's been an honour talking to you. We could talk all oh, day. Well, I've
0: enjoyed it, Aidan. Thank I, you.
1: I look forward to part two maybe in a few months. It's Lovely. I love, I
0: love your accent. I can't I love accent. <laughs> Likewise. Take care. <laughs> and, okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
1: Now at the innovation show we welcome Ian kylie coo of drone consultings ireland welcome to the show thanks very much thanks for having me along it's great to have you on the show and we're going to talk about drones because a lot of people including myself don't know the half of what's being used out there the innovations happening in drones the usages how people are solving problems how they're improving issues that they've had in the past and it's just a whole new world and you've landed right in the middle of it And you have a great event coming up on Friday, 10th to the Sunday, 12th of March in the RDS. But before we even get to all that, it'd be great to understand your background, Ian, and how you got to where you are today.
2: Yeah, so a good good few years ago, I was a caterer, a hotel manager, um, and I had a cafe and varying things. And I got pretty seriously injured. And over the course of a few years, uh, kind of things slipped through my fingers, so I was laid up for 2014 and I was told I need to look at doing something new with my life so I started studying drones and um, the, the rest is history, it's been a bit mad. Uh, we got in just at the right time, myself and my colleagues. Um, we decided to do the expo because nobody else was, was doing everything all under one roof to, to gather people together. Like in the UK, they've loads of drone events, so you kind of have your business and and your end user stuff separated. But here, I mean, there's only four million of us, or or a bit more, so we we've pulled it all under one roof, and it's been very exciting. We've um I, I'm really impressed with the amount of people that got on board. Yeah, so t- tell us about your your background
1: because you come from FPV racers, and I I actually when I read that, I was like, what is that? So be great to understand that.
2: I'm a licensed drone pilot. Uh, I've licensed from the Irish Aviation Authority. So we can apply to work in controlled airspace. And in general, they're pretty good about supporting us doing interesting new ideas. So uh, some of the types of stuff that we've been doing, we've been working with Dublin Fire Service. And we provide them with equipment and thermal imaging cameras. And we've been looking at how best we can use them there. And then one of my colleagues took on an agri project. We have the only precision agri drone in Ireland at present. Um, Huge big beast of a machine, and we're we're kind of demonstrating and looking for new ways to develop that. Um, And then I've done some data gathering for Dublin City Council, uh, some aerial photography. Like People people think drones are about cameras. They're actually more about sensors and the types of stuff you can do, building inspections, that kind of stuff. So we've spent the last two years developing these ideas and uh, perfecting our our abilities to fly and then in conjunction with that you've got fpv which is first person view racing where guys build um customized drones out of pretty much out of out of thin air Uh, the drones race up to like 80 90 miles an hour and they look through 3d goggles and they only see what the drone sees so it's a pretty interesting sport It's, it's a whole other set of skills really than flying normal drones brilliant and then here in Ireland, we a few of the surveyors now are using fixed-wing drones, where uh, it is what it says in the tin, it's a small aeroplane with the similar cameras and stuff that we would have on, on the multi-rotor drones, and they're able to map really large areas. And the Irish military actually have quite a large fleet now of fixed-wing drones that would be quite substantial in size, maybe maybe three or four meters in diameter, and some of those can stay aloft for you know many, many hours. Yeah, because let, let's talk about some of the usages, because... I,
1: stuff I've read from overseas is where they're using drones in war-torn areas to actually mine, to, to, to sweep for mines, so they're actually flying over the ground, as you said, with sensors,
2: sensing that's, is there metal below. The guy that developed that, actually, I'm, I'm pretty friendly with him, um, the industry is still quite small. Um, yeah, his that, that drone you're talking about has two uses. He can find mines and trigger them without any human interaction, and the drone is unaffected by it. The same drone can then be fine-tuned and is used to look for radiation leaks. So they were recently um, up there at where, where they were putting the new building over Chernobyl. So they were flying their drone and doing everything remotely and using the drone to track the building moving into place. They surveyed the place in advance. And the devastating thing about it is each drone has to be crashed afterwards and left behind because it comes back radioactive. So that one instance they're saving tons and tons of lives. In Africa, Intel are sponsoring a project where they're putting chips into the rhino horns. They're using drones to track the rhinos and catching the poachers By who are tracking the the, the rhino. They're delivering medicines across vast distances. Oil companies are using them to to track their pipelines to make sure they're not leaking. And because the drone isn't being manned by a person, the drone can actually be, in theory, going 24-7. So the likelihood of spillages has actually been decreased a lot as well. So every, there's there's so many industries you can touch off, like we can map 20 acres in an hour and by the next day we can give you a 3D model that can be manipulated, add roads and buildings and stuff. And you can link it to CAD, you can link it to augmented reality. There are guys here, uh, they they fill them roads when they're putting them down. Uh, One of my business partners works for the state and he photographs roads and the construction team get paid based on his photographs um the list goes on and on there's guys 3d using 3d printers to build drones from scratch and i mean these are serious pieces of equipment and you can uh, with the right sensors you can do lots of things with them you can buy sonar for your drone now for like you can buy a drone with sonar for 1100 euros and when we're inspecting a building we switch on the sonar and the drone never touches the building wow so what 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 interesting cases have you seen yourself that you're just like
1: wow because you you you're a consultant, so basically people come into your office and they go, I have this idea. What kind of great ideas have you come across?
2: <laughs> Some of those are in development at the moment. Um, well, one, one we did ourselves, it was actually the Dublin Fire Service came up with it. Um, we were in Dublin City just before Halloween, and we were tracking people that were burning piles of tires and pallets. And Last year, the Dublin City Council spent over a million euros cleaning up the mess after that, and it's also very dangerous with fumes and they're doing it in in around apartment blocks so we managed to track down a, a serious amount of the the tires and pallets that were hidden in canals on tops of buildings like the stuff was just everywhere and we we found quite a lot and it, we we cut down on a lot of cleanup at the other end of things and you know obviously all those bad fumes and stuff out there and it, it we're looking at doing fly tipping now as well where we'll be tracking people that are dumping illegally on a regular basis
1: brilliant and so how how does the drone activate is is there a sensor on the, say for example you're talking about the fly tipping there's a sensor in the area to go there's activity the drone then awakens is hiding in a tree you know just for the for the the layman like myself
2: what what okay, at happens? the moment the, the laws won't allow us do that it is possible and um, i know there's a guy in the u.s working on a security system that if your light triggers in the garden a drone will go out with a the thermal camera and start hunting for people that are hiding on your land in relation to what we're doing we're we're doing it through visual line of sight so, you know, we're identifying potential areas and then I'm using my screen to, to go in and have a close look. And then if we're, we're tracking stuff, then we're actually going in and into premises and getting permissions to go in and have a look see. Um, so we can cover vast areas very quickly. Like from a mapping perspective, we can map 20 acres in an hour, which means that our, our, we can see that whole space um, on our computer screen while, while flying live. We can live stream it to a laptop on the other side of the planet if we needed to. Yeah, you've democratised access to so many aspects which
1: were so expensive to activate in the past. And that's also brings me nicely to your event, because the event as well, you've democratised access to this, where so many events are very, very expensive to to access the entry fees expensive. But you you've put this over three days with a very affordable price ticket
2: when we got into it, there there is one other company that they do charge quite a lot. And you get to meet CEOs of big companies and, and that's great. But except the ground the, the grassroots people, they're not really interested in that. They're like, how can it help me now? How can I access it? What do I need to do to get trained? And we, we're probably gonna change how we do things a little bit next year, but we day one, the tenth is a bit purely business to business day. And the likes of Mayo County Council and Samsung and Vodafone and Bank of Ireland have got behind us on it. So they see that the future uses And we we want people to learn about what we're doing, but we want them to to trust it and have an understanding of it and, most importantly, respect it.
1: Yeah. And what kind of speakers do you have? Because you have an amazing lineup of speakers. And uh, just to give people a taste of these people, because they might not have heard of it because it's such a new industry.
2: Yeah, we do. We do have some really interesting stuff. We have a guy coming from Israel um, they're Parazero. They're going to be talking about safety features for drones. So they, they've got parachutes and that kind of stuff. You can attach the drone. Like, let's be realistic. A drone is still a machine. Things still can go wrong and drones can fall out of the sky. So we're, this guy is going to come over and talk to us about how we can Im- improve the safety on that. The drone I fly has six rotors on it. So if one fails, it'll fly in five. So we, we want to encourage that kind of stuff. And um, we have a company called Plotbox, uh, they're an Irish based company, they go around the world looking at cemeteries from above and figuring out how they can get more, more grave sites in. DroneSar is another Irish company, uh, they have developed search and rescue apps that you can put into your drone. They can uh, Two teams of four, the drone can find the person eight times faster, it can map a route in to go in and help the person and it can also deliver a payload. Fly right, Drone Academy, they're going to come in and talk about doing um, training and, and getting people licensed. Denmark University are coming. They want to so say the University of Southern Denmark are coming. They're looking to recruit technical Irish people to go and study drones in Denmark. And the EU are paying for that. And yeah, just just loads of really interesting people getting on board. The UAI are coming. The Irish Aviation Authority are going to give a talk on safety and how the legislation might look in the future. Um, yeah, like every, every day I pick up the phone and this is it, they're up in Northern Ireland, a guy has opened what we believe to be the first world, um, it's, it's going to be a drone and fixed wing airport. So mm-hmm. half the airport will be for landing small aircraft, the other half the airport will be for flying drones, training drone pilots, there'll be an indoor FPV track and then some of the manufacturers are putting their name behind it and they're talking about doing centres of excellence. So just in, in and he's going to give us a talk we with Cormac Sreenan coming from um, University College Cork. Cormac is working on other ways to do uh, search and rescue with their drones. And he's he's big into developing sensors so I can see them doing good stuff. Very smart guy at Mayo County Council. They have aspirations to be a research and development center for drones. They have space. They have funding. So they're going to come. They've done a bit of sponsorship with us and they're going to come and talk. To the people about you know if you want to set up your business why don't you talk to us we've got an educated workforce and at the moment we've got loads of open air space and space space to go in and do your development in in buildings and stuff so yeah really interesting things happening
1: yeah and we're watching the birth of an industry i know you've been in that for quite a while but for everyone else there's still lots of opportunity here and you mentioned the university of southern denmark be presenting at the event but they're, they're given a two-year master's program in drone technology. They're
2: recruiting Irish talent for that, and they're going to be at the event, right? That's right. Yeah, they have a stand, and they're also given a talk. Like, there's a serious amount of very educated people here with technical knowledge. And people, the, the world are looking at it. So the Irish Aviation Authority are very much uh, up there with the leaders of, of writing legislation. The, the U.S. pretty much copied ours um so when you combine that with an educated workforce people trying to get back into the workforce and we've got so many other technical companies here developing that uh it's kind of a no-brainer to come here looking for people uh, i was at an event there uh, about 10 months ago and i was chatting to this 15 year old kid and i was like oh you know you're an fpv racer he goes well i've built my racing drone for my 3d printer it works but i can't afford the goggles and the control station and um I'm here to borrow other people's when they're sitting down so I can fly my drone. So wow. it's coming really from you know even the kids are doing it, and Brilliant. sometimes I find it hard to keep up with them because I'm nearly forty. You yeah.
1: know, you're an old man
2: in this space,
1: man. <laughs> I am. <laughs> no, but like you, you really—it's great. I loved the story of how you came from the catering business, saw this, loved this, were passionate about it because that—that comes across in in both your own side and in this event because. This is a, a passionate thing. This is an authentic thing. It's like somebody blogging. They're not getting paid for it. They're doing it because they love doing it, and that really comes across. And I think that's that's the appeal of this event. You know, Drone, Drone Expo Ireland. It's uh, it's and you're, and it's probably why you're able to get these people that won't go to other events as easily.
2: Yeah, you've made some pretty good points there. Yeah, we're, we're passionate about it, but we're not zealots. Uh, we're enjoying what we're doing. Um, my partners, Peter Downey and Ian McMahon, they have quite a bit of experience. It was the other Ian that got me, in, got me interested. Um, and when we started looking around and going to meetings and things, we found there were other people like us, you know, that, that had a bit of experience, wanted to get a, a new industry up and running. And when we started saying, look, we're going to try out these mad things, other guys got on board. So we couldn't have done it without the support of maybe a dozen of the other people in the industry and then the standholders and stuff. This year, we've spread out into more technologies. So we're going to have a lot of VR stuff there. Um, We're going to have some electric skateboards for people to try out. Uh, everybody has something interactive, we have a new waterproof drone that's going to be, uh, it was a crowdfunded drone from the US that one of my partners identified, so we, we brought one of those in for it, and um, they were borrowing some Orbiter 2s from the Irish military, we had to try those, we will have a look, you won't be allowed to fly them, they're a hundred grand each. Um, and uh, we've got thermal imaging we've got just the list just keeps going on and every time I open my laptop somebody's coming to me with a new idea and I think it's because we came into it with an open mind and we've kind of you know like you said we've almost been blogging about it and on Facebook and Twitter we're always kind of up to something interesting so yeah hopefully we'll make a few bob as well it'll be nice it takes five months to put on an event like this you know
1: yeah absolutely massive amounts of effort put in. Anyway, so, so what, what advice would you have for somebody who's considering the industry
2: um, you should go with an open mind. When, like, when I got into the idea of it, uh, I was writing notes and taking in ideas, and I was always very good at that. But when I sat down and actually did the course, that uh, the the first step of getting licensed, afterwards I tore up my business plan. I wasn't thinking big enough. Like, it is now a golden time, a perfect opportunity for people to get in. We've hardly scratched the surface and uh, it, the cost of getting involved in the industry has, has come down significantly. So the Irish Aviation Authority have reduced the cost of licensing. Uh, insurance isn't, it's not mental yet, you know, people are doing, are, are trying to do things properly so that there are very few accidents. Um, and the, the cost of equipment high-end, like, when I first bought my thermal camera there were €4,000 and that was considered really cheap, but we can sell one now to you for €2,500. And you, it can interconnect with my existing drone. So I don't even need to buy another drone. And the, the manufacturer Unique tell me that they have a few more uh, cameras coming to support that. So um, they have a new drone coming as well that's designed specifically for, for industrial work, like inspections and stuff. And then GGI only released a new one yesterday for the same thing. So big organizations are paying attention to what we're doing. And the manufacturers are starting to build drones around that. Brilliant. Well, um, and, and I, it, I, I, can see two or three years from now there being several hundred drone pilots all making a really good living here in Ireland.
1: Brilliant. And wh- where can people find out more information? So I know it's DroneConsultantsIreland.ie is yeah. the website. But wh- where can people find you? You mentioned Twitter, etc. What What's the tag? If now? you go to
2: our Facebook page, Drone and Tech Expo, and um, we we've constantly got information going up, and now we've stuff about speakers. When, the, when we're not imminently getting ready to have an event, we post whatever stuff we're working on at the time. Uh, there are many people we've advised, and we've shown them the equipment we supply, and we've said, actually, you know, you're, you're better off getting equipment elsewhere. But come and talk to us. Throw your ID at us. We're not interested in stealing people's ideas. We're interested in developing ideas. And uh, feel free to drop us an email as well, Ireland at gmail.com. Brilliant,
1: Ian. Well, Ian Kiley, COO of Drone Consultants Ireland. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Ed.